Tonight on Metro Focus. A special edition. Sci-fi takes over the OR. From 3D imaging to augmented reality, our new Medical Marvel series kicks off inside the operating room at New York's Mount Sinai Hospital, where brain surgeons are using cutting-edge technology to treat patients more effectively. In a moment, the doctors using these high-tech treatments give us a real-time interactive view of the brain. Plus, we'll take you inside a procedure that's helping Parkinson's patients reduce challenging tremors. Those stories and more as this special edition of Metro Focus Medical Marvels starts right now. Good evening and welcome to this special edition of Metro Focus. I'm Jack Ford. This is the first in our new series of reports examining local medical marvels, advances in the field that make what was once the stuff of Star Trek a reality in today's medical world. Technological advances in medicine are making hospital visits safer, more efficient. One place high-tech changes have a tremendous impact? In the operating room, especially when it comes to neurosurgery. At Mount Sinai Hospital here in Manhattan, augmented and virtual reality, 3D imaging, and gamma radiation have emerged to become today's cutting-edge tools of the trade. Joining me now with insight into all of these medical marvels happening at Mount Sinai are neurosurgeon Dr. Joshua Peterson and chief physician assistant and clinical director Leslie Schlachter. And I want to thank you both for joining us here. This is it's it's fascinating what you are all doing now. And I, and I spent the night last night looking at some of these videos and marveling at the progress that's being made. So to set the stage for some of this, and doctor, let me ask you this first. Give us a sense, in the years that you have been practicing neurosurgery, generally speaking, how significant have been the changes, the developments in your field of medicine? It's been enormous, enormous changes. Uh, the technology has made safer the surgeries. It has given us a sense of orientation. Uh, to give you some sort of analogy, uh, we didn't have GPS in our cars when I started operating, and we didn't have GPS for the brain, uh, and now we do. So in the same way that you could look at a screen in your car and know where your car is relative to the map of Manhattan, you can see your instruments uh, in relation to the map of the brain and know exactly where you are. You can see around corners and see through tissues. Um, so there have been enormous advances. So with that as a setup, uh, I want to take a look. I want our folks to take a look at a, a, a piece that we have that, that both of you are involved in, as a matter of fact. Right? So Metrofocus's Maddie Orton visited both of our guests in the operating room to take a look at this technology, these new technologies firsthand. Let's us take a look. Lisa Galliotto of Long Island, New York, was experiencing pain in her neck when she got an MRI in March 2018. The test revealed an unrelated and shocking discovery. Galliotto had five benign tumors in her brain, one of which was so large it had reached the size of an orange. Making matters worse, the tumor had arteries wrapped around it. 
Removing a brain tumor is a challenging procedure, but Galliotto's doctor, Joshua Peterson at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, has high-tech tools to help navigate these tricky surgeries. He's one of the first brain surgeons in the country to use 3D images of the brain integrated with augmented and virtual reality. Augmented and virtual reality help us manage a situation like this in many ways, from the initial patient consultation all the way through the planning of the case uh, and generally navigating towards safe corridors of surgery. Here's how it works. 2D MRI and CT scans, referred to as DICOM images, are digitally fused together to create a 3D image of the patient's brain. Software is then used to paint outlines of the tumors, arteries, and veins different colors on that 3D image. This creates a comprehensive map of targets and no-fly zones for the procedure ahead. Holly Emke researches new technology in the surgery process. She helps Dr. Peterson implement and optimize these tools. We have to tell the computer what pieces of the anatomy we're interested in. So we're using a tool called SmartBrush to actually paint on the diacom images the tumor as a whole. All those flow voids in there, mm -hmm. those just have to go. We've outlined the sinus, which is a vein, a major vein in the brain, um, and then the arteries that are either feeding the tumor or are close to the tumor that have potential to cause damage if we were to disrupt them in some way. Inferior sagittal sinus. Maybe orange is a good color because it's contrasting. For Lisa Galliotto's surgery, this color-coded 3D map of her brain helps Dr. Peterson and his team better develop their plan. By preoperative planning this case, we're able to visualize ahead of time what the, uh, what the tumor looks like before even getting into the operating room. The patient, Galliotto, is also able to visualize what the tumors look like and how Dr. Peterson plans to address them, a big benefit for lay people about to undergo a major surgery. It's one thing to be told by a surgeon that you have a tumor in your right frontal lobe and we have to make an incision over the top of your head. It's another thing to see your own tumor, to see it in three dimensions, to see it in relation to your own facial features, and to understand exactly why we would be making an incision here and where we would be doing the opening. Although this is still an invasive surgery, it seems a little less invasive to me that he kind of knows where he's going. Galliotto gets rolled into the operating room. It's in here that the technology perhaps comes most in handy. The 3D color-coded lines that were created to outline Galliotto's tumors, veins, and arteries are available to Dr. Peterson in the operating room through augmented reality. He can view his patient's anatomy with the naked eye and then look through a microscope that provides an overlay of the digitally drawn outlines so he can see where the arteries, veins, and tumors lie before he even reaches them. This is referred to as a heads-up display. The name originates from pilots using the technology to view information while looking ahead and flying, rather than looking down to check their instruments. Dr. Peterson says the same concept applies here. Prior to heads-up display capability, a surgeon's methods would have been very different. You would have used a map. Uh, you would have looked at the MRI scan, CT scan, gone back to the patient, looked at the patient, internalizing what you've seen on the MRI scan and trying to project that onto 
the patient in, a, in an accurate way. More recently, Dr. Peterson relied on a GPS-like navigation probe. The tip of what looks like a pen touches the patient's anatomy. It's synced with a map of the brain to tell the surgeon where he is in real time. This is what most surgeons currently use. Dr. Peterson also incorporates this navigation probe into his process, but he doesn't have to rely on it solely anymore. That's a big advance and very, very helpful, but it still requires that you stop what you're doing, look at the map, and then go back to what you're doing. In the analogy of flying a plane, you have to stop flying the plane to look at your information and then start flying the plane again. That's no longer an issue. Dr. Peterson says heads-up display technology for surgery has made his work faster and safer. To use the heads-up display projection of the virtual reality reconstruction onto the scalp while we're planning the skin incision so that we can position the opening precisely and give us the maximum exposure for the minimum opening. Likewise, after the skin incision, we'll be able to position our craniotomy, which is the bone opening, right over the tumor by projecting the tumor onto the surface of the skull uh, and sort of seeing through the skull to the tumor to more precisely outline our opening. The heads-up display helps the rest of the team in the OR see what Dr. Peterson sees as well, because the microscope he uses also functions as an exoscope providing a magnified video feed to a screen complete with the overlay of color-coded outlines, viewed in 2D or in 3D with special glasses. As the operation continues, the team can see the clear, solid outlines of the patient's tumors, veins, and arteries despite blood flowing from the tumor. And they can anticipate where these structures will be as they move further into the brain, thanks to dotted outlines that provide depth perception. Six hours later, the surgery is a success. Can you stand on one foot? Excellent. And the other foot? Good. Today is my follow-up visit with Dr. Betterson. I had brain surgery two weeks ago, and I'm feeling awesome. And you never had any seizures, so I think that driving is okay for you now. Great. So that's Get that's my independence good. back. I think the technology made a big difference. It helped us identify the important vascular structures that had been displaced and enveloped by the tumor and were at considerable risk when we reached the deep parts of the tumor removal. So knowing exactly where those were, being able to na navigate to them and then to stay away from them once we were nearby was key in preventing a stroke. Dr. Peterson is already excited about new technological features under development with several of the hospital's partners. What if we could also provide haptic feedback to my surgical instruments? We could provide auditory information. We could assign different tissues, different sounds, for example. And with each technological advance, the hope is for more and more outcomes like Lisa Galeotto's. She's as normal as can be. That's as good as you can't make someone better than normal, I don't think. So th this is not a medical term, but I, I think I, I'm safe in characterizing these as breathtaking advances in technology is what we've seen. I've got a couple of questions for you, both of you, and then I want to get into some specific cases. So, Leslie, for you, touch on a little bit in the piece, but talk about how, how this aids in dealing with patients and helping them understand their circumstances and perhaps even more important, what it is that's going to take place in the operating room. Right. 
So my goal as a physician assistant is to help the patient through what we call the perioperative period. Everything that happens before and after the surgery, and of course help Dr. Betterson as needed during the surgery. And with that is making sure the patients are comfortable and agreeable to what's about to happen to them. And it's really scary. You find out you have a tumor in your head, you have to see a neurosurgeon, and you're meeting someone who you've never met before talking about your brain. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at images, as you saw, that are black and white in various shades of gray. And what we do is we turn that into colorful pictures that they can then interact with. So it opens up a door to a conversation about exactly where we're gonna shave their skin, exactly where we're gonna cut the skin, open up the bone, and what our approach and repair is gonna be. And because they can touch it and feel it and play with it and have time with myself and my team, uh, really no questions go unanswered. And even if there are potential side effects or complications, they were able to visualize what that is in color of their own brain. And it, it really has completely changed the way that we interact with our patients. And I would think for you, I, I've had 13, 14 orthopedic surgeries over the years, and the uncertainty is always troubling. You know, exactly what are you going to do? What is it going to look like before? What is it going to look like? My guess is this helps them. It's, it's going to be anxiety-ridden anyway, right. but at least take away some of that uncertainty from them. Right. And it builds confidence, too. Mount Sinai is one of the great teaching institutions. Uh, so, so much of your focus is teaching people in the medical fields. How does this help you in teaching people who, who are going to become neurosurgeons? I think it's pretty helpful. The residency is seven years long, so they get a long exposure to it, and they take on graduated responsibility as they become more skilled. Uh, but translating what we talk about in a conference to the operating room, uh, for example, positioning the patient your very first time, what's the exact right angle of the head uh, to maximize our exposure and make it easy on the surgeon and the patient, uh, that's a big step from looking at a scan and translating that into three-dimensional space into a patient position. Now with the technology, they can check what they've done before we get in there by looking at the heads-up display and the, and the virtual reality, and they will adjust the position before I even come into the room so that it's optimized. Likewise, where do you shave the scalp? That's a very important issue for the patient. Sure. Uh, and, and the resident Because you're not just, as we saw, you're not taking all the hair off. Not anymore. You want to be, you used to. You want to be more precise for it. That's right. Let me ask you this to take us through. We've got a, a couple of, of videos. They're short, about 30 seconds each, no audio, on, on different surgical procedures. And I want to ask you to sort of narrate them for us. And again, it'll show the, the introduction of these high technologies. So the first one we're going to show in just a second, I'll, I'll call for it, has to do with a brainstem tumor. Uh, give me a quick capsulization. What does that mean, and what are you hoping to do in this procedure? Well, in this case, uh, it's a very large brainstem tumor and a very high-functioning uh, person who started bouncing off the walls, literally. Now, she has five kids, and she just thought that it was taking a toll on her. Uh, but in fact, she had a huge tumor causing major compression of her brainstem. So that, that's, that's what we're seeing that's right the, now? The that, yellow that is that yellow, tumor. That's, that's... And uh, when she came in, she met Leslie and I, and uh, we showed her this, and I think both she and her husband were pretty shocked to see the size of this tumor and to understand why she was having these symptoms. There's a, a second one I want you to talk about, and it has to do with a pituitary tumor. Explain that to us and what we're going to be seeing here. Well, this patient had a giant pituitary tumor that is located right in the center of the head, 
pressing upward on the optic nerves and causing blindness and visual loss. What we found out afterwards uh, and before the surgery was that in addition to the pituitary tumor, he had two aneurysms, which are bubbles on the blood vessels, which you can see here right now, uh, pointing inward. Uh, these are at risk of rupture, and certainly if you touch them during the surgery, they're going to ruin your day and his. Uh, and so it was really important to be able to navigate and to see these aneurysms through the tissue and through the tumor while we were doing the case to stay away from those. I want to jump into another area. It's not necessarily your area, but I just want to show our viewers something. Then I'll come back and talk a little bit more here. Um, another advancement that we're seeing, a design change to small electrodes implanted in the brain during what's called deep brain stimulation surgery. This tiny tweak has apparently had a world of impact. Here's Maddie Orton again with the story. Ann McCloskey was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1986. Twelve years later, she became one of the first patients in the country to receive deep brain stimulation, or DBS, surgery to help treat her disease. It's a procedure where a device implanted in the upper chest sends electrical impulses into the brain through wires, called leads, that are tipped with electrode contacts. The neurostimulation calms Parkinson's symptoms like tremors, but recently McCloskey's 20-year-old device stopped working. So two decades after her first DBS surgery, she's scheduled for another one at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Dr. Brian Capel is McCloskey's surgeon. The lead fractured, um, and like any man-made device, this can you know these leads can break. You know, DBS is a pacemaker for the brain, and if it breaks, the electricity can't flow, and then they lose efficacy. And so that's essentially what happened with Anne. Going into her second of two lead implant surgeries, McCloskey is optimistic. She says she knows the procedure will allow her to go back to doing activities without a tremor because her first deep brain stimulation surgery two decades ago worked wonders. It was a miracle. That's plain and simple, a miracle. I, I was shaking when I went into the operating room and I wasn't when I came out. Nurse practitioner Joan Miravite, who is also assisting McCloskey with this process, says it's not entirely known why neurostimulation calms Parkinson's symptoms, but its use in a case like this is clear. For someone who has so, so many years of Parkinson's disease, it's hard for us to cover, that, cover those symptoms with just medication alone. She does respond well to medication, but it doesn't last as long, so the deep brain stimulation helps us to manage these on-off fluctuations, and so the off times become better, and so her medication can really last um, through the day. The new DBS system will be implanted in both sides of McCloskey's brain, so the surgery is done over two days. Once the leads are in and she's had time to heal, McCloskey will return to have the device calibrated to the level of stimulation she requires. This whole process has become more accurate thanks to a recent advance in the field. You know, the product that we use today um, is the first of the advances in the DBS lead design since DBS was introduced in the United States in the late 90s. The traditional DBS lead had four contacts and each four contacts looked like a little cylinder. So when you stimulated, you created a field that was symmetric on all sides of the lead. If the lead were slightly too close to some area that you didn't want to stimulate, you had to 
sort of trade-off between effective stimulation and side effects. Capel says surgeons like him wanted a lead that provides asymmetrical stimulation, allowing doctors to stimulate in one area but not affect an adjacent area. These new leads provide that capability. In the operating room, Capel orients the lead to take advantage of the new electrode layout. Prior to the implant surgery, Capel does several checks through brain imaging to make sure he identifies the optimal implant location. All right, Anne, do me a favor. McCloskey is awake but sedated. In addition to following the map provided through brain imaging, Capel also listens to frequencies given off by the brain's nuclei, which help him identify where the lead is stimulating within the brain. Once the lead is in the targeted location, Capel turns on the electrodes and asks the patient to follow commands. He checks her reactions to see whether the stimulation causes McCloskey's normal tremor or stiffness to subside. Open and close your hand, big and wide. How does that feel? One month later, McCloskey visits Mount Sinai for a follow-up appointment, where her new DBS device is programmed by nurse practitioner Miravite. Today is Anne McCloskey's first initial programming visit, so we're going to be turning on her electrodes today. And she'll be off medicine, so we'll turn on the stimulation, we'll see what the stimulation does by itself, and then we will have her take her meds so we can see what stimulation and medication does at the same time. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Just a little tremor. Miravite uses software on a smart device that allows her to go through each electrical contact in McCloskey's brain, set the amplitude, and test what happens to her symptoms. Typically, we can treat the symptoms of Parkinson's. They're, they're called motor symptoms. So we can treat tremor, stiffness, slowness of movement, and dyskinesias, which are extra movements after patients are taking meds. So. Those are the symptoms that I'm going to be targeting. McCloskey's symptoms do lessen in intensity as Miravide tests her patient's ability to do basic physical movements while receiving the deep brain stimulation. Looks better. The appointment is a relief for Ann McCloskey, who arrived in a wheelchair suffering from freezing and tremors, but leaves the appointment walking with the help of her medication and the deep brain stimulation. So. Would you have ever thought, when you started medical school, that we'd be doing things on, tele on telephones, on your phones now, things like we've seen here? Ever thought that? Really amazing advances. Yeah. Let me ask you, um, th there have been so many advances. We have just a few more minutes here. But there's one that, that you involved, to some extent, with your surgery. It's referred to as a gamma knife. Tell me about that as an, what that is. And isn't that something of a misnomer? Yes, it's not a knife. Uh, it's one of the several types of radiation uh, that can be focused to pencil-thin beams to treat tumors mainly. Uh, we can also destroy tissue if we think the tissue is functioning abnormally. Um, it's an advance, uh, but it is not really different from other types of radiation in, a, in its efficacy. Uh, it's totally non-invasive, and that's why the term uh, gamma knife is a little bit of I've, I've always thought that seems yeah. kind of primitive, you know, yeah. have a knife for such a precise uh, technology. Let me ask you both. We've got about a little bit less than two minutes. Same question to both of you, if I can. Leslie, you start. Uh, where do you see us going in the very near future, certainly compared to when you started it in this profession? Where do you see us going in terms of patient care and patient knowledge? 
Great. Well, we've all we've become so digital with what we expect in life. We do everything off of apps. We're fully educated consumers when we purchase things. And we've noticed that the same is happening in healthcare. When people are looking for a neurosurgeon or they find out they have a condition, they want to be fully educated and informed and they, they want to feel like they have a say in what they're doing. And because at Mount Sinai we have all sorts of amazing technologies at our fingertips and we can essentially walk a patient through their surgical experience without it actually happening, um, I feel that we can offer a, a high-tech digital patient satisfaction experience. And that's, that's what I'm focused on, helping for the patient so they feel like they're, they're jumping in with eyes wide open. It's a lot to ask you in 45 seconds, but that being said, where, where do you think we're going to be next 10 years in neurosurgery? Well, surgery is still a field that uses hands. All the advances so far have been with information provided to our eyes to help us interpret what we see and improve the quality of what we do with our hands for the patients. Where I see the next advances uh, are in helping our hands. So what I'd like to be able to do is translate the information about the border of a tumor or the vicinity of an important artery, translate that from the screen to our hands. So there'll be direct feedback into the instruments themselves, either by providing a little physical resistance as I approach something dangerous, or guiding us physically towards the important areas that we need to go. Well, I, I want to thank you both for spending some time with us, Dr. Peterson, Leslie Schlachter. It's just marvelous work that's being done by you and, and everybody up at Mount Sinai. And uh, you know, what? we'll plan on getting you back again sometime soon, and you can keep us up to date on all of these things that are going. So thank you both for joining us for tonight. And uh, thank you also for joining us for this special edition of Metro Focus. I wanna thank all of you at home. Uh, please let us know what you thought about tonight's program and about medical marvels happening in your communities by heading over to metrofocus.org. On behalf of all of us here at Metro Focus, thanks for joining us. Have a good night.